Welcome, everyone. This is Mac on the Rock, yours truly at WSQF Blink Radio 94.5 for the Concrete Conservative Show. I suppose that most of you uh, want to talk about either the two issues of the day, coronavirus or Black Lives Matters. And uh, we're going to start off with coronavirus because uh, it's pretty amazing that uh, the, the police departments and government come down on businesses like they do and keep you from going to church like they do. And they allow criminals and protesters and looters running free to steal anything you've got, everything you've got, and ruin your future in the process. So I have a guest today that can talk to us about the business side of the damage that's done when this coronavirus outbreak broke out. And this is the the point I'd like to make on the Concrete Conservative. The lives that are ruined because we are an emotional society kind of hell-bent on listening to the media that has a hell-bent reason to lie to you. Why do we believe some of these concepts? I have Bill Hurley with me, and uh, he's going to explain to you who who and what knows how business is hurt by this coronavirus and all things considered. Bill, how are you today? Good, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so last time we spoke uh, about three months ago, we, we kept the gist of business. I don't think we really touched upon coronavirus, what do you think, uh, you know, give us the idiosyncrasy. What do you think it's really doing to the small businessman? Are people even willing to talk to each other out in public? I mean, between the masks? Yeah, yeah. Well, it has been way too long since I've talked to you, Mac. And up here, I, you know, I'm up in Tallahassee uh, where they're calling the shots. And uh, I work for the National Federation of Independent Business. I'm their advocate. We represent small business owners. So, you know, last time we talked, uh, this was just on the horizon, and some things that we never could have imagined uh, were going to happen have happened. And, we're, you know, with, with uh, uh, mandated closures, uh, and now we're coming out of it uh, with uh, Governor DeSantis trying to, I know he's trying to get us there as quickly as possible, but, man, you folks in South Florida, Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade County still at phase one. Uh, my heart goes out to you because it is killing, killing, killing uh, small businesses. Yeah, well, so, we have uh, we have the, the rest of the state reopened up just just in the well. Keep in mind a lot of small businesses. Keep in mind in South Florida, we have an issue that's kind of like anomaly of the United States. Uh, to some degree, New York uh, has this probably more so than we do. But yeah, we have a lot of people from really really undocumented, untested countries like Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico that reside here. And uh, some of them in my particular community of Key Biscayne, where WSQF is located, uh, they have a tendency to not be tested at all because of their affluence, believe it or not. Not for anything else other than that. They just believe that I don't have it. You know, I don't have it. And they could have gotten it in their countries and they'll come here and spread it about. We, our island is only about 15, 60, 16,000 people, but we have, uh, the last I heard, over 60 cases here on the island. And guess what? We're only one square mile, so it's kind of easy to spread. And uh, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, people really don't communicate uh, as much as they should about what's going on. You know, I was in a diner just yesterday uh, with, uh, I'm 55 years old, I've got diabetes. To a certain degree, um, I'm a victim to be, you know, I'm the one of those that get, you know, gets caught up in coronavirus and actually would kill someone like me. Plus, I suffered uh, three strokes recently in in the in March, so you know I'm 
obviously don't know who to believe. And, I, you know, sometimes I leave my house without the mask. I got to go back. We'll get the mask, this and this and that. But, man, I was in a diner. And can you believe it? Some young kid laughing in about how he got it, didn't affect him. One, and I'm hearing him over my shoulder. And this is a perfect example where the business lost, you know, a good $20, $25 in breakfast. You know, I just got up. Yeah. I just got up and walked away. And I, I just told the waitress, or my, my friend of 30 years, sorry, Lori, I got things I got to do. I just forgot. Uh, don't forget my food. And thank God I hadn't ordered yet, so I didn't really hurt. The business, per se. But this guy was grinning less than six feet away from me, talking about how young he was and that he didn't have any symptoms and he already got over it. And I'm just saying, man, this guy's going to sneeze and I'm screwed. So I got up and left. Well, you know, you're you're a perfect example of, uh, you know, we found out some amazing things over the past three months. We found out that uh, the governor had some extraordinary powers. Uh, the governor has the power to shut down any, any business uh, he, he decides, and, and he did that across uh, the whole state. Uh, but what we also discovered uh, when he went to restart the business, uh, he doesn't have the power to make consumers go back to those businesses. And that's the big question that all small business owners are facing across the state now. You know, we fortunately, gratefully, with great gratitude, got the order to reopen many businesses from the governor. Uh, but he can't require the customers to go out and, and patronize those business. And, and it has been patchy out there. I know you hear reports and you see probably videos uh, over and over again of, of big crowds at, at some bar. Well, that's one video. I tell you the general story out there is a lot of consumer hesitation and concern to go out and engage in commerce. That's why business owners, you know, no matter what they believe, no matter if it's just a, a, a raw uh, business decision, uh, no matter what they believe about the spread of the virus, uh, they can believe that consumers are cautious and they've got to be taking uh, every step they can to make sure their staff is following the protocols and they're cleaning everything and all those checklists. So that when a customer comes, they're not going to turn around and walk away or well, not come in at all. What uh, what impact are you uh, hearing about the the extraordinary expense to put plexiglass in between table booths and registrate uh, you know the register uh, around the cooking area? I mean, what there's some serious costs going on. I mean, I see CVS do it, but what about mom and oh, pop? Oh yeah, I'd like to be in the plexiglass business, right? Yeah, what about the mom and pops? They're getting slammed. Yeah, I think it's a tough call. I talked to restaurateurs uh, who right away went out there and did it, and uh, it is a considerable expense. And and you know, if the customers aren't going to come, then it's it's really not not going to be worth it. I, and I think the other you know calculation they need to make is, you know, I, I've got to invest all this money to retrofit my restaurant. Uh, how long am I going to need this? You know, if we're going to no, and half the size you gotta you gotta. Here, uh, well, you can rationalize that investment, but if it's only going to be for, you know, another month or so, and, and then those requirements get relaxed, uh, then it's not really worth the investment. Just tough it out. Uh, so I've seen restaurant tours on both sides of that. Uh, I'll tell you, at, at 25% uh, capacity, uh, unless you kind of you've got a business model I haven't seen, a, a restaurant it, it is not that's not viable in, in the long term. Uh, nor is 50% seating. Uh, you know, the, they have those number of seats in the restaurant because that's what they need to make money. Uh, now, what do you and, think about this idea? Uh, 
drastically uh, reducing the sales tax during this time to uh, help businesses stay afloat and save some money on the the you know the accounting expense to fire the the sales tax receipts to Tallahassee you know on the quarter. Is there any talk about that in Tallahassee? You know, there are ways that the, that the state can uh, uh, put some jet fuel into this economy. That that would be one. Uh, now, I'll tell you, there, there's already some hand-wringing in Tallahassee because some, some people with pointy pencils uh, did the math and calculated that we've lost uh, about 700, about three-quarters of a billion, about 770-some million dollars in forsaken, uh, you know, lost uh, sales tax collections over what what a normal economy would be uh, uh, already. Yeah, just from the shutdown uh, so, alone. You know, from lack of are, purchases. We're going to be able to talk them into a a cutting the sales tax. Uh, that's going to be a tough one because uh, they already feel like they're in the hole uh, for all the business and commerce that's been lost all, already. Now, I tell you one thing that really concerns me, uh, uh, Mac, is is that. You know, the, the feds are just handing money to the states now. Uh, yeah, they encourage and, it. And, and you know, <laughs> we, we've always known that, you know, the federal government got in trouble because they deficit spend. But the states, at least the states had to balance their budget, right? So states are, to me, kind of a, a bright, shining light of better government uh, uh, because we have to balance our budget every year. Now the states have found a way to, to deficit spend and, and, and uh, continue their spending ways on printed money when they're getting it from, from the Fed. I think that's a very dangerous long-term uh, signal for our, our overall economy. If, if the states find a way to really make some huge uh, contributions to the federal deficit by taking, uh, uh, by taking federal money on an ongoing basis, maybe to get us through this crisis, but if that becomes a habit, uh, there's a lot of bad government coming ahead. Absolutely. So, it also provokes... Uh, happy. You know, they're they're going to do a little bit so they can talk about it. But most of all, they're, they're concerned up here about running out of the money you keep sending to your state capital uh, if, this, if we don't get customers to get back uh, to the stores and restaurants and, and, and spending money and all, all the great ways that they do. Yeah, unfortunately... Uh hate to be cynical, but government has a tendency when they get free money to misspend it. And I can see them, you know, not telling the truth about, uh, you know, you hear it on the net, you just don't, you read it on Instagram, you're wondering, is it true or is it not true? And a lot of death certificates are being attributed to coronavirus just to get the $33,000 from the federal government. And that is really tacky if they just write in coronavirus on the death certificate and the person's of a certain age and uh, was going to die anyway of another cause, but got the coronavirus in the hospital. Uh, there's a legitimate yeah. reason to put that that is a, the cause of death, and that, I believe, is corruption either way because it's a waste of $33,000 that the federal government writes. I can see places like New York and Chicago and Detroit and, and cities that have high densities doing this. Uh, what do you think? Uh, uh, I know that, that it, I don't believe that's an issue. Uh, I won't speak for you, I'm sorry. But I don't believe it's an issue here in Florida. But nevertheless, uh, you know, what do you estimate this deficit is going to look like uh, two or three years from now? Yeah, well, uh, you know, if we run this state, we've always run it. It's going to be zero just like it's always been. 
but what I'm saying is when, when the feds are handing us money, and that's one of the reasons you haven't heard about tax hikes yet, uh, because the state, state leaders know that they've got this money from the feds, uh, and they're filling budget holes with it. Uh, in, in, if this goes on for uh, a, a protracted period, which, by the way, I, I do not believe for a minute. If you saw the last uh, 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 jobs announcement, I think on the uh, on the uh, uh, well about a week ago, uh, jobs production uh, really shocked everyone, and the job growth, uh, or should I say, you know, the net loss. Uh, from where we began in the corona crisis was far less than people projected. And, you know, mark your calendars because this Friday uh, the state unemployment numbers are going to come out. And I think that's going to be a real important snapshot of where we are in this restart. You know, the whole plan behind all this legislation that Congress has passed since COVID started was to keep people connected to their jobs, uh, keep jobs there, for when the uh, uh, self-quarantining is over and people return to, can return to work. Well, by and large, you know, and we'll find out for sure Friday, we're thinking that big picture is that's kind of worked. As I said, we started this conversation, the thing that uh, isn't working so quite so well and is beyond any kind of government's ability to control is uh, uh, a little bit lackluster, return to commerce for the consumer. You know, people... Yeah, not wanting to interact they, with each other. Order, they okay, you can go back to work, you can go back to shopping, you can go back to restaurants. But they're fearful. <laughs> yeah, they're fearful. They uh, Same with the traveling around. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are pent up to go travel uh, around the state or f- come to Florida. I can see them being reluctant to come here on vacation. First of all, a lot of people don't... don't overlook this reality when you travel you also are not likely to know you can be informed fairly quickly but not in, you know not very comfortable with the fact that where you're staying you don't really know how close the hospitals are by in case you do get sick or a family member gets sick so these things weigh on people when they go to travel and florida so dependent on this travel i would be hard pressed to think that the hotels are starting to hire people right away even though I know that the law, when they accept this uh, stimulus money, they do have to keep their employees or at least bring them back right away in order for the loan to be a grant and not a loan. So I believe Trump was smart in, and the Congress was smart in imposing that because it does stimulate people to keep people working. So Trump can say, you know, I got two and a half million jobs a report, you know, and it has a lot to do with the way the law was written. Well, and, and that was the aim. I mean, it, you know, it's not some cynics have told me, well, you know, they just arranged it so they could keep the unemployment numbers down. And if you really want to be that much of a liberal cynic, go ahead and knock yourself out. But, you know, I, I, I think the legislation was sincere uh, in, in that. They, Does that mean you're in agreement really with, uh, this, time out, time out here, wait a second. An 8 to 10, 12-week experience, and, and when that's over, then people would still be connected to their jobs, still know that their job is there, and, and could return to work. Okay, the and point I want to I want to pin you down on, are you in agreement with this stimulus money, or are you not in agreement with the government just, uh, you know, handing money out, uh, like $1,200? Are you in agreement that that was uh, the right thing to do to calm fears, or do you believe it was a, a waste of money? 
Oh, no, NFIB thoroughly supported the, uh, the PPP program. Uh, we were briefed on it uh, uh, and brought, uh, we, we did have a seat at the table in the, in the formulation of it. And listen, I, I know my members. I represent, you know, we represent over 300,000 small business owners nationwide, and they're a pretty conservative bunch, and they don't like to see uh, a lot of uh, capricious and, and spontaneous spending from their federal government. Uh, but this was something, you know, we, we never faced before. If it was a business turned down that was by more uh, natural causes, if you will, uh, by a, a recession or an economic turndown or some other thing, you know, business owners, I think, would be kind of the way they were in 2008 and 2009, saying, okay, it's going to thin the herd. This is when the tough get going, and you know, we'll see our ways through this. But, you know, this was completely different. I I heard one person describe what we did to the economy. I wish I'd I'd come up with this way of describing it myself, but they said what we did was we put the economy in a medically induced coma. Well, that was was well said. Yeah, and and that's that's pretty close to exactly what we did. You know, if you equate the doctor uh, to the the fifty governors across the nation, uh, well, those doctors decided that the best thing for the for the nation overall is to put it in a medically induced coma. And, and, uh, yeah, but my, my fear that the patient... Order like that, I think a lot of our more conservative members said, you know, heck yeah, they've got a responsibility to make sure that uh, as few businesses as possible fail through this uh, uh, mandated closure. So NFIB supported the PPP program, and uh, we, we've got a lot of things we'd like to see uh, improved upon it yet, uh, excuse me, you know, the, what they're calling the, the Heroes Act, uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi's latest creation, it, 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 uh, moving through the House, we have uh, enormous problems with, and rather than doing further damage to us by uh, making, uh, extending some of the Family and Medical Leave Act uh, expansions they did in the first piece of COVID legislation, uh, we'd like them to go in and uh, correct some of the uh, uh, liability exposures they have created for us. So think about this, right? You know, every business owner now, uh, and especially bars, restaurants, people that are in close contact with consumers, uh, have got to change their whole mode of operations. Uh, some of those things they've had to change at the direction of the CDC, at the direction of, uh, you know, what are best practices for keeping your uh, uh, employees and, and customers safe, uh, fly in the face of pre-existing laws uh, that can increase a business owner's uh, exposure to lawsuits. I'm thinking of things like the Family Medical Leave Act, uh, like the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, when a business owner goes from a traditional restaurant environment to uh, providing curb service, are they really doing that in, in all the ways that are compliant with the ADA? Well, I promise you there are some trial lawyers that think not and are going to pursue businesses for lawsuits. Yep, they don't mind kicking someone while they're down and, and uh, pursuing cases uh, on businesses where because they've changed their operations, now they're not, maybe not, not doing it in total compliance with pre-existing laws, and we're asking for liability protection at the federal
federal and state level uh, for business operations uh, that have had to change because of COVID. You know, people talk about liability exposure for a business under COVID. Of course, and if you're going to think of the worst case scenarios, you know, what if something we do at the business uh, causes an employee or causes customers to have COVID and we're responsible for a death? And that's a terrible thing and we need to do everything to guard against that. But what it really, you know, what it, the, the real uh, dollar exposure of liability today is in the small things. It's not in, you know, if there's somehow gross negligence on the part of a business owner and he, he caused people to have COVID. I guarantee you those cases are still going to move forward. We're talking about the nuisance lawsuits where somehow a business, because they've changed how they deliver a product to a customer and they have limitations on how a customer can engage, that they somehow have violated a earlier uh, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act or a equal equal uh, uh, a civil rights act in some in some manner because they've changed up their 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 delivery of product or service to a customer. Now, and can they? Just, uh, can they? Uh, while, while the business community is going through this huge change, give us a little give us a little protection instead of putting another you know dark cloud over our shoulder. Now, I mean, consider that the medical world and atmosphere epidemiologists, and, and and the like, they can't prove how you pick this up. Uh, how in the hell would a customer plan to sue a small business claiming that I got coronavirus in your establishment? Do you Is your organization prepared to uh, pass legislation to protect the business owner from the, from from those type of lawsuits? Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, you, you me, I don't think, Matthew, that you or I are a medical doctor or an epidemiologist, but you know what? Neither are the trial lawyers, so they don't feel like they need to be to make that claim. And while I can't say we've seen any of those, what I've described as, you know, the, the worst-case scenario uh, liability exposure for a business, uh, we are going to ask for that protection. But again, it's more the garden-variety nuisance lawsuits that can debilitate a business just as much that we're going to ask for protection uh, uh, from. Now, um, can you be more specific about what you consider to be a nuisance, uh, what I described, or are you talking about something else? Well, I don't want to make light of well-established rights that we provide to every American under things like the Family Medical Leave Act and under the Americans with Disabilities Act and under civil rights laws. Those are all very well, I mean, important I mean, there you, your that, point that we accept. You, um, okay. I'm pointing out the point. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a couple cents in when I think of something, so that you, can, so we can engage each other here, and the audience can understand something. Under the Disabilities Act, you can see an elderly person who's disabled, maybe even a veteran who's disabled, can easily make a case that, hey, you know, I'm susceptible to coronavirus, and I got it here in your establishment, and I f- believe it falls under the act. Uh, we've got problems because there's a lot of customers that you want in your store, and one of them is the old loyal customer who happens to be disabled, you know, old Harry from the neighborhood. It would be terrible if Harry, through the Disabilities Act, could sue that he got coronavirus in your store. I mean, I'm talking about restaurant, uh, pharmacy. My God, I stand at the pharmacy myself for my meds. And I'm saying to myself, God, the guy in front of me looks pretty bad. The guy behind me looks pretty bad. The other one's sneezing. 
and I got to get this medicine, and I'm going to a place where people are sick. That's what a pharmacy is. I mean, we got issues here, and it's it's a real. We need organizations like yours to really stand up and point these that particular scenario out that I just I just described. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what we're saying, Matt, is that you know every every business. And we've been talking a lot about the ones with high exposure, like restaurants and bars. But I'm telling you every business, right down to a, a white-collar accountant that might not see more than two people a day, is still changing their, their entire business operation and their whole modality. And the, the ones that are going to survive and the ones that are going to thrive are ones that are changing so they can go out and, as we were talking earlier, win that consumer confidence so people do commerce with them. What we're, so what we're asking is, while American small business sector is going through this huge transformation, allow us to do it. Allow us to be creative. Allow us to be inventive. There are going to be new business models out there real soon that we haven't even imagined yet. But as American commerce is reinventing itself to regain the consumer's confidence, provide us a little protection from the trial lawyers that are going to be nipping at our heels at every turn just because we're doing something unconventionally or different with the aim of protecting the consumer in the end. And that's the real shame of it. Yeah, there's if, a... there's, if there's a real you know dark cloud of litigation uh, over an entrepreneur, and they come up with, I don't know, let's invent something, you know, a new way to to take tourists horseback riding or something, and 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 they decide not to because they they feel like it's going to expose them. Then that's one more business that's not going to create this new uh, modality or this new channel to the market. Okay, and that's something we critically need to do because I tell you, you know, what we're starting to get after. You know, I don't know, are we four or five weeks into the restart here in Florida? Uh, a lot of uh, lackluster consumer participation. And it's not for lack of uh, an economy or lack of revenue. There's a lot of pent-up uh, income and resources out there waiting to be spent. Yeah, but they're headed to the beach. Find, <laughs> we can't find the ways uh, to get it to, to our products and consumers, to the consumers where they feel good about it. Right, they're heading to the beach instead, where they only have to pay ten bucks for parking and and get into the beach. And uh, I guess the beer companies are are getting their sales. And but I don't see anybody buying anything of real value for their business from a new forklift to a new network system or anything really sophisticated. They're more in the wait and see mode if they're in a manufacturing business or subcontracting business of some sort. Uh, thank God, uh, DeSantis did. Uh, allow for construction to maintain its course, you know, from road building to house building to, you know, shopping center building. All those construction workers stayed on the job. In fact, they were able to advance some of these projects, especially in the road work. Yeah, that's been a that's been a real bright spot. Yeah. That was that was very genius of him to allow that to continue because, uh, what um, aside of talking on the radio when I feel like it on this station, I own a, a an Ace Hardware dealership, so. Right, right. We're a co-op, so I've been open this whole time. So when I make comments about the economy, I like the audience to understand that that they're sincere comments because I'm not really affected by COVID unless I get it myself personally because I have been open and I've done robust business. I'm not affected. I didn't ask for the loan. I didn't ask for the government's money. I didn't apply for anything because it wasn't right to. Uh, my employees stayed on the job. I didn't unemploy anybody. 
So I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of those uh, important businesses. But I do see an incredible expansion in the masks, the different type of masks out there. There's one called the Strask, for instance, that goes down the neck. I guess it was taken from the uh, the skiers, the snow skiers, and yeah. uh, they're they're now being printed up with different logos. Of course, Trump 2020 is coming now on Thursday, and that's uh, I'm already stocked up on my Trump 2020 so I can hand them out during the parade because uh, we have a tiny. We're like the only Fourth of July parade for uh, you know non uh, you know resident aliens. Basically, we have more people living from other countries paying the municipal taxes. Legal immigrants, of course, uh, who buy homes and, and, and rent very expensive properties out here. And they stand around and watch America the Beautiful come down the street. And I wonder all the time, as since I grew up here, do these people even understand how, how much blood was shed uh, for them to just stand there and watch this parade? So I'm going to be handing out, just to let them know, just to f- obligate them to engage, I'm going to hand them a... Uh, a thrask, which is a throat, uh, a mask that covers his throat, so it's called a thrask. Right. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the, the K, uh, you know, two versions of it, the uh, the KB one and the Trump 2020 one to see which one uh, sells faster. So that's my capitalist. Have you been able to keep masks in stock at your H Hardwood yet, or are they yes. still selling out the minute they hit the shelves? Yeah, they uh, they're not flying off the shelves like they used to. Although these reports probably will provoke new sales again because people say that there's a rising coronavirus now. Uh there were it was waiting off. I was I was selling about two fifty to five hundred uh a day, the peak five hundred and two fifty on a regular basis. But that number's dropped down to like eighty five a day. And um and the eighty five is only sustained by the paper one, the one that you you better, you pretty much discard daily. The thrask yeah. is one that you, you put in the wash. So I can't tell you what that number yet is because I uh, I just ordered it. And I should receive them on Thursday. So that would be the that would be a really good number because that's one that people can use over and over and over again. But they're you know substantially more expensive than the you know dollar eighty nine paper one. You know, so uh, it's just like construction. I know that you know one other sector that's done real well and pe- people just being people. You know, you, you lock people up in their homes for eight to ten weeks. Suddenly, they decide to make a few home improvements. They can't stand to look at that broken, broken sink uh, another week. So I'm, I'm guessing you've seen uh, actually a little bit of an uptick at, at your uh, shop. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely correct. There, that creaky door, that that hinge, the doorknob, the the new key, especially the new key. It's amazing. That little key that drove you crazy that didn't open up the door correctly is now being done new, and you also have more people staying with you, so people right. are getting the additional get it, yeah. key. Yeah, everything, but everything you can possibly think of, you're right on the money. Especially the, the, the those things that you mentioned, which is like the leaky pipe, the toilet, the, uh, you know, the food compactor. Everything seems to be fixed at this time, and usually because the head of the household is now at home nine, you know, nine right. nine to five. And he's probably having his wife say, "Honey, uh, it's time to it's time to fix this." I, I can't believe I made you put up with this leaky sink for all this. Yeah, I can't believe it, honey. I'm sorry I made you go through all this. I'll I'll get to it now. And you see them with their heads down, you know, all disheveled from being inside the house, and they're asking me questions. And uh, you know, I'm trying to get my employees to give them the right tools. And there's so many men who really think they can fix stuff. 
and they overbuy, you know, they overbuy equipment to do the job, then they want to come back and uh, and return all the items they've already used. And you're looking at them like, you know, you already used this hammer. I know it's subtle, but you still used it, you know. And uh, it's we're a small town, so we do everything we can to appeal people. You know, we've been open since '53, and uh, um, oh, really? Yeah, we're the oldest business on the island now. That the the two oldest ones have gone out of business many years ago. You know, with the gentrification of the island from, you know, veterans of war, you know, the early veterans of uh, Vietnam War and, sorry, Korean War and Vietnam War became completely Latin America by 2020. So, um, you know, it is that. And then uh, uh, we purchased a store in 1992 after Hurricane Andrew. So we've made some changes ourselves. And uh, it was a leased premises, a leasehold business when we purchased it. Today we owned uh, an old Exxon gas station. We tumbled and built a, a 10,000 square foot facility out here. So we're very different um, because we were able to stay open on the island because we owned the building, not because we could have paid these market rents. Because you can imagine it's Beverly Hills rents now. So you couldn't have a hardware store here had we not taken the expense to build a new store and all that. So. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a wonderful life we live. Only in America can you pull these things off. I hope that the government stops uh, doing anything but leave it wide open. Let our businesses go. Unfortunately, the harsh reality is that people aren't as important as the nation is, and uh, we need to leave a nation for our kids to survive in. It's really not about us. It's about them. And unfortunately, it sounds very cruel, you know, but uh, viruses have been part of the human experience for so long. And these are viruses that, uh, you know, are coming, they come and go, and you have to see them as come and go. And it's, I know that people are dying of it. And, uh, you know, I hate to say what brought upon us, you know, what brought, uh, you know, we're South Floridians, so we know what bioterrorism looks like. We remember when Fidel Castro was, you know, taking out dissidents with uh, dengue and cholera. So when Trump says this thing came from China, we here in South Florida, you know, we just know what he means. So I'll leave it on that note. And and, uh, hopefully we get another call back from you soon. And I really appreciate your call. Hey, thanks a lot, man. It's always good to talk with you. Yes. Thank you very much, Bill. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Bill Hurley. And uh, Bill... uh, Defense uh, small businesses up in Tallahassee. So let's move on to the other subject here on Blink Radio 94.5, the concrete conservatives. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter. There's a lot going on. You know, you can imagine where I come from. As much as I want to feel sentimental about the victims in these crimes, that one moment they're, you know, hanging out, normal people that people love, and the next moment they're dead by cops. And I don't, I don't think it's fair to blame the cops under these circumstances. Um, in the case of Mr. Floyd, it was really awful because we saw the video and the knee to the head. And it's really gross that he was, you know, pleading for his life. And this guy had an axe to grind. And he was almost rolling his knee over his neck. And, you know, it's, it's really harsh reality. And But the other, the other side of me knows... As my family had a business in the hood, we had a produce business from 1961 to 1984 in deep, deep in the hood. It was a produce wholesaling business, and therefore I went through the McDuffie riots. So 
I was a young boy then, and I was working my butt off at 2 or 3 in the morning, and the place was on fire, man. Tires everywhere, screaming and yelling. They knew we were a large employer in the area. There were shots fired in the neighborhoods. Uh, some of it we thought were aimed at our, you know, cooling units. So we had to defend our businesses, you know, and I grew up differently. I lived in this world that I just described to Bill. And I went from, you know, affluent up until about 2 in the morning. And then I was in the hood defending my father's business and uh, totally exposed with huge garage doors open. Uh, the, the doors are, you know, 18 feet high for a tractor trailer to pull up to our loading docks. We had seven on one side, seven on another, and a railroad track in between us and a, and a neighbor. So you can imagine we had an alley that was really dark and and you know, train tracks. You can imagine. It wasn't fun. So I grew up with a different perspective. And uh, the inner city could be really harsh. There's a lot of things that the inner city has to understand about law and order. And the law and order really doesn't change over the years. We shouldn't have to ask police officers to, you know, act differently when they feel threatened, act differently when someone's resisting arrest, act differently because the person is high as a kite. In the case of George Floyd, you know, he was speedballing. He was on meth and opioids. He was shaking, banging his head inside the car. He was in that car before he was on the floor, by the way. I don't think people see the videos out there. but There's a video of him actually in the squad car, and he was banging his head and preventing, uh, contorting his body so that the cops couldn't get him in the car. When they finally got him in the car, he was resisting the whole time. And so they took him back out of the car, and then the atrocity occurred. They threw him on the floor. Um, you know, he was already handcuffed this whole time. It was very sad. Then I saw Atlanta, and this gentleman, he seemed like he had manners. You can, he didn't really look terribly drunk. You can tell he had something going on. He had a couple, couple hundred bucks in his pocket. He seemed like a nice man, seemed to have manners, respect the police officers. And then all of a sudden he lost his mind and resisted them. And then he was strong, man. He he pummeled those two cops. What's going on? What makes what makes black Americans think they can resist police officers? I don't get it. Not that whites don't resist the rest as well. I'm sure they do too. But more whites have been killed uh resisting arrest than black people have. I mean, it's a it's a pretty strong fact. I mean, come on, man. It's just uh what is going on in our society that our generation, mine, my generation, by the way, born in 1964, what is it we doing? How is it that we're parenting people, our kids? I mean, are we the worst parents on the planet or what? I mean, we're allowing the phone to educate our kids? Why is it that our kids don't understand, especially if you're a minority? I'm a brown guy, so I'm going to speak from, like, from a brown perspective. Blacks and browns, you know? I'm a brown. I don't pretend to be an Anglo-American. I don't pretend to be Anglo. I don't even pretend to be a light-skinned guy because I'm not. I believe that my dark brown hair and my dark skin has directly related to some kind of Muslim roots, you know, hundreds of years ago in Spain. Although I've been Catholic my whole life, and as far as I know, my descendants have been Catholic, there's got to have been some Muslim in me far back. I haven't done Ancestry.com yet, so give me a moment. I'll, I'll validate that if that's true. But I'm speaking from a Brown's perspective. I'm a minority. I am unfortunately have to accept myself as Latino, Hispano, and I'm 
telling black people, man, come on, you can't resist arrest, my friends. You can't. You know, just just take take the rap, beat them in court if you want. Take the rap for now. You're drunk. You're falling asleep in a in the drive uh, in the drive through. You know you. In Floyd's case, hey, you walked out speedballed, all high as a kite. You probably didn't even know you had a a, a, a fake twenty on. I, no one knows that you knew. I've seen false bills here in our locality. I I told Bill that we have a lot of foreign uh, residents from foreign countries and foreign businesses, and many of them cash for dollars when they fly here. When they come to Miami, they ha- they get their dollars in Bogota and Mexico City. In Caracas, and there's the the integrity of clean dollars is not as clean as here in the states. Obviously, there's counterfeiting in those countries. So, you know, they try to, you know, they try to get their money before they fly in. They probably get better rates too from the their banks or from their bookie. You know, I'm sure there's people that that privately sell dollars in these countries. I mean, that's a fact. With higher rates, so guess what? A percentage of those bills are counterfeit. So I can see Floyd having a twenty dollar bill that he didn't know he had that was fake. They make them fantastic, especially North Korea is institutionalizing fake dollar bills. So you know, uh, I don't blame Floyd for any of those things. I blame the man with. Uh, I don't want to give him, um, you know, any. Uh, uh, space here man he need the hell out of floyd floyd was begging for his life man he rolled his knee onto him he confidently just just rolled his knee man thinking he was cool as hell he was a senior officer for the other rookies that were present now they're all in trouble because of what he did and the nation burned man had to burn unfortunately it allows all the communist groups to come out and and do their thing and uh I'm I'm sorry, man. It's just, it's just wrong. It's uh, it's terrible. It's terrible to understand that uh, that we're an emotional society that goes around thinking hyperbole, thinking conspiracy, uh, paying attention to the to the water cooler. Sometimes getting advice for people who haven't done nothing in their lives, and they're giving you advice. People giving you financial advice and haven't made any money. Uh, we're a society like that. Uh, we believe a lot of innuendo, and we ignore a lot of facts. You know, I mean, we're we're all up in arms about nine unarmed blacks killed by police. You know, there's there were 19 unarmed whites killed by police just in these years. This is from the Washington Post, the the, the paper that I am not very fond of. There was 104 people who drowned. Blacks who drowned in a swimming pool this year. This is 2019. Nine blacks unarmed died at the hands of the police. Nineteen unarmed whites died at the hands of the police. And the town has to burn? 104 drowned in a pool, blacks in a swimming pool. And then black-on-black crime, 6,660 black men died at the hands of black men. That means that black life matters only if it's outside of Chicago. I'm not implying that the 6,660 deaths are from Chicago, because I believe that number is 456 or something like that. 
But that means there's a, there's Ferguson's out there, Baltimore's, Detroit's, St. Louis, violent places out there where crime is out of control, black on black crime. So, you know, you got to understand, guys, this is the concrete conservative. These are concrete facts. We tried to not have cracks in our concrete and try to be a concrete conservative in life, you know? And if you're not a conservative, at least try to be concrete. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, man. Let's think clearly here. The biggest problem we have in our society is what I championed in 2013, education. Give people the right for their children to take back their schools. I was listening to Mark Levin last night. Life, Liberty, and Levin, and listen to what he said. The American Federation of Teachers, they are tied to the hip with the Democrat Party. Barack Obama was one of the most outspoken and ardent opponents of school choice. Quality schools to send their kids rather than the school... He's speaking to Dr. Carol Swain. Civil rights issue. Basic education. The media are not behind it. Hollywood's not behind it. The Democrat Party, like so often in our history... Is obstructing the majority of blacks and Hispanics want school choice. Inner city schools, they're crime written. Students are afraid to uh, go to school because of the quote restorative justice rooted in Marxism, and it is making it almost impossible for students to be suspended. And so there's lawlessness within the uh, schoolhouse. Teachers are afraid to teach. There's chaos. In school, just like it is on the street, school choice. See what I mean? You know, uh, this is what I've been saying. This is why I call Democrats democommies. They're the demo version of communism. They act like communists. They pass laws like communists. They want to defund the police like communists. You know that the communists in 1918, the Bolsheviks, which are different than the Mensheviks, there were two types of communism going on, two movements in Russia. The Mensheviks wanted to keep the czar. The Bolsheviks were really pheasant uh, farmers who really wanted their, their, their quality of life to increase. The czar had them oppressed as a king. But the Mensheviks really were, the, were similar, just a little bit more uh, advantaged economically, who wanted to keep the ballet and the culture and wanted to somehow keep Russia intact. They weren't necessarily interested in a Politburo, but they were both calling for a state-run economy. Well, the Bolsheviks attacked the police. They went after the police in 1918, right before the revolution, like, blew up. Think about that, folks, when I say that. The Bolsheviks attacked the police. Big movement to attack the police and law and order, ignore law and order. And everybody talks about, you know, what's happening today. You saw videos of those young kids that were defending the cops out loud, surrounded by Black Lives Matter protesters, and the Antifa kids showed up and knocked them out, dragged them through the streets. And the person filming was from a balcony saying, I wish I could be down there to, to defend these kids. Well, I don't know how far away you were, my friend, but you videotaped like everybody else. So many people with their cameras out watching these young kids they didn't look like adults to me. They looked like young kids. And they were pummeled. That one kid ran away, realized he left his friend behind, 
came back maybe a minute later, jumped on Antifa, who just knocked out his friend, who was out cold on a bench. And you think they they did anything but walk away? No, they went right back to him, dragged him off the bench, stamped, stomped on him, punched him, kicked him like a soccer ball, kicked his head like a soccer ball, who was knocked out. Then the kid who was defending his friend, got pummeled, dragged through the streets again. It seemed like it was on a highway where there were condos right up against the street there because this person filming and the the women that were in his company were screaming, look how young he is, look how young he is, stop hating him, oh my God. It, it just breaks your heart to see a bunch of unemployed idiot kids, old and young, claiming that police is the problem. Come on, man. You're going to tell me the police are the problem? You want to defund them? Yeah, I'm sure that we're taking advantage of the narrative, defund the police. Because we are so logical, we are in the belief that you liberals are not capable of defunding the police. That the majority of you guys, you know, will hold hold back. But you can't even reduce the budgets because the population increases. How many millions of people are at home without a job? Minimum wage people, uh, workers, people that make the engines of this economy go. How many have been unemployed? And what percentage of those are attending these rallies? And what percentage of those are starving, but naked starving, and they're looting? I mean, come on, connect these dots for Christ's sake. That's the beauty of WSQF Blink Radio. We can say these things here. On commercial radio, you know, you got to get a guest to say it. Well, we're self-funded here. You know, we're one of those community nonprofits, you know. And uh, we don't have our hand out. We're not asking anybody to support us. We've always told people, you know, if you give a damn, give a damn. Don't ask me to convince you to give a damn. I was out there with my hand out once uh, to help me pay for the, the antenna to see if people gave a damn. Well, a few gave a damn. The vast majority didn't give a damn. And that's just the harsh reality. I don't think about these things when I set out to build this radio. I, I don't think about it. I don't think about how many people that, that, that are listening to podcasts now. If I thought about any of these things, I wouldn't have built this. I simply built it because I wanted to buy my freedom of speech back. My parents left a communist country where I was born four years later. 1964, here in Miami, Florida. And my parents' motivation to leave communist Cuba was to assure themselves that their children would be born free and they would never lose their freedom of speech, number one. Be able to speak out about injustices like many are speaking out on that street. There are posters out there. They're fighting for what they believe is just. I get it. But unfortunately, cops can't possibly be the issue. Well, losing your freedom of speech for one mile in 2013 is what Mark Levin and Dr. Carol Swain were talking about. School choice. I want to accelerate school choice. And the reason why I played that little snippet that I edited is it was, uh, you know, a solid 20-minute interview. I snipped, you know, 59 seconds of it so I can put it on Instagram, played it back to you to let you know that she associated the school system with Marxism. I associate Black Lives Matter with Marxism. They're both uh, attacking the school system in that manner and attacking the police in that manner. And that's just the gist of it. That's what I want to talk about today. 
And uh, I'm happy that Bill took up half of the hour of the show because it was appropriate that the coronavirus impact on businesses was also included this since this has happened conjunctively or in parallel with each other, which leads me to believe that there's something much greater out there and that Black Lives Matters is being funded by the Democratic Party and all the folks that support the Democratic Party and all the PACs that are out there, all the nonprofit, political nonprofits that are out there that are funding Black Lives Matters because they, you're sticking their ugly head out every four years. And they're desperate to get the Senate. I don't think they under I don't think they can get the presidency. I think they both understand both groups Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and all the other money men out there that wanna affect Donald Trump's reelection. I don't think they have a chance with him. He's just a phenomenon. I learned that really fast in two thousand fifteen when we were campaigning against him as a Ted Cruiser. And I learned quickly that he was a phenomenon because all the rules of the game to win an election, he only had maybe two of them, name recognition and money. But he didn't have a policy. He didn't have people uh, at the higher scale, you know, the policy wonks following him. He just had a bunch of Wall Street guys, uh, attorney hacks, um, people that just spoke highly of him and his name recognition from being on the show. And he probably had a lot of free marketing, too, when he was on the show in NBC. I'm sure NBC uh, marketed his audience base, and he had access to that as the host. And for 10 years, man, he got to find out who actually watches my show. What do they do for a living? Do they do anything for a living? How large are their families? What's their income range? Why do they watch my show? White, black, indifferent, Hispanic, who are they? What part of the region has more than others? And from there, he put those, crunched those numbers together, had people do it for him. Um, Jerry Kushner apparently knew this Pascali guy, and they uh, crunched the numbers as well on the internet, recreated what Barack Obama used to win election in 2008. And uh, sorry, in 2000. And uh, no, 2008, sorry. I'm confusing the hanging chads with Barack Obama's election. And uh, he created the most uh, victorious, record-setting, political abomination in the history of American politics, Donald J. Trump. And I'm so fond of his presidency now with his his incomplete sentence, sometimes incomplete message, sometimes incongruent, incoherent political messages. And yet it shows us all how much we're lied to, shows us all that Just about anybody with guts can do these things, providing you have the money and the name recognition. You can see how he can take on the left like nobody else. Ted Cruz would have never done what Donald Trump has done. Think of all the powers that this president has taken on. And now this, Black Lives Matters and coronavirus? Wow. What a freaking harsh reality. Never in my life, never in your life, never in anybody's life will you ever see something like this again. A man from the private sector, flawed as he is, as we all are. Children with three different women. Good times, bad times. Grew up semi-wealthy. Now it turns out he had serious conflicts with his family and his brother, who was an alcoholic he admitted to. 
but apparently he has two problems. He's got problems with other family members as well. And that's going to come out now. And it explains why uh, the inheritance was a mess and it explains why wealth and inheritance is a mess. Um, it, it's not going to be fun. And there's an article that's uh, going to come out, I believe, in the New York Daily News or Politico, where Mary Trump is going to lash out at her uncle. And there's all kinds of tacky, sticky, private matters that are going out publicly right before the election, right before the convention. And still, he's going to win in a landslide. Imagine that. That's the phenomenon that is Donald J. Trump. Takes on the IRS, the NSA, the CIA, the DSA in his country, the Democratic Party, the media, Everybody lying about him all at once. Think about that. Married to a beautiful first lady we should all be proud of who was, grew up in a communist country. I believe she's from Estonia, Lavatia, one of the Serbian, the northern Serbian countries from the ex-Serbia. Keep on forgetting the names. There's like three or four really small ones up there. And everybody... And everybody uh, is from different Slavic origins, but it's Melania's from a beautiful um, part of the world. Lavatia, Estonia. Uh, sorry, excuse me for, you know, the three strokes didn't mean, you know. For those who are listening to for the first time or don't know me personally, um, I suffered three strokes in three weeks and I'm still here. And I've got the left standing on its head. And I'm really enjoying that because I'm the concrete conservative on WSQF Blink Radio. See you, my friends. Stay free. Back at you one day. Stay tuned for Adam Levinson on Statues and Stories at 7. I'll be back on the air in about three or four minutes. In the meantime, enjoy the Moody Blues. Thank you.